the fundraisers at school. And listen, God wants us to have a different experience, to be passionate about his church. And that's why I'm excited to share with you today in our CIL Forward process. This is Forward 101, and today's message is called Know His Love, Share His Love, which is the theme of our church. The theme of our church, our mission statement is we're here to know his love and to share his love. And it's real important because you cannot share about somebody you don't know. Have you ever tried to do that? It's almost impossible. So we believe that this great mission, the mission statement of the church comes from Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19, he said, therefore go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say go into all the world and get people to fill out cards, raise their hand, make converts, uh, get your stats up. He said, no, go into all the world and make disciples. And we start right here, making disciples amongst each other in the community that we're in. And when we know Jesus and we love Jesus and we understand the transformational power of Jesus, then we'll naturally share his love. I mean, we won't have to schedule on the third Saturday morning at 7.30 a.m. We'll share his love for 45 minutes to appease our conscience. Now, it might be good to do that. And those of you who do that, I commend you. God's called you to do that. Don't let my snarky remark keep you from doing it. But I'm saying that there is a... There is a fire within. There's a passion from it. When we know this person, Jesus, we're in relationship with this person, Jesus, and it causes us to want to share his message. We have to share what we know, and we can only know what we share. Well, I want to talk to you about the local church because like a lot of you in this room, I've given my life to the local church. A lot of you have given your life to the local church, and you haven't been paid to do that. Okay, I, I, I do work full-time here at this church, but some of you, that doesn't mean that I'm giving my life to the church, because I suppose there's a lot of people who get paid by the church who are hirelings and not shepherds. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get on anyone else, but I'm just saying just because you're paid doesn't mean you've given your heart to the church. A lot of you have never been paid by the church. In fact, you've been paying to the church, but you've given your life to the church. You see what I'm saying here? God's invited me he invited me at a fairly young age, as an early teenager, to give my life to the local church. And I've done that since then with some reluctance along the way. There's been a few times that, that I, I wanted to do something else. But I'm so glad, by grace, God has not allowed me to do that. Now, when I saw last night that the Los Angeles Rams are still getting used to that again, their new head coach is 30 years old, sure making... A few million dollars. Inside my heart, was I jealous? No, I'm just having some therapy with you right now, as, as you know, just together as a group. All right, so hey, I wanted to be a football coach, I wanted to be president of the United States, I couldn't decide which one, so now I'm the pastor of this church, and I love it. I told our junior high students, I talked to them Wednesday night, and I told them that. And we talked kind of about finding God's will, and I, and I meant this sincerely that there's nothing else I'd rather be doing right now than. Uh, living life with you guys and experiencing God and seeing what God can do when, when, we, when we're the church in action and we're the church that knows this person, Jesus, and we have this message to give. And so that's what today's about. And, and here, the scripture that Kim read for us, we, we see that Jesus said something very powerful to, to Peter in, in verse 18, I think it is, of, of Matthew 16. He says, I, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock... 
I will build my church. And we'll just stay here for a second. And the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Hades is one of the four words that collectively translators have, have used as hell. But Hades is this unknown place. It's this place of mystery. It's this place where things aren't clear. It's, the, it's, it's uh, this unknown place where the forces of evil and Satan, his demonic powers, uh, from Hades, they, make, they wreak havoc on the world. And, and Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on people like Peter, right? People like Brittany, people like Joe. I'm going to build my church on, on, on people like Randy, who know who I am, who know me. That's how I'm going to build my church. And I, I'm telling you is that the reason we gather on Sundays and the reason we have these auxiliary meetings or these small group meetings, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, 242, you know, Awana, youth group, all of these different things, and I can make the list go on. We do that because we want to know Jesus and, and we want to share Jesus. And we do that because, guys, we're building a church. Now, all of a sudden now, if you begin to think, well, I didn't come here this morning. You don't know what I'm dealing with, Aaron. I'm dealing with a lot of issues in my life. I'm not here to talk about building an institution. Can I remind you what the church is? The church is you. We're building you. We're not building an institution. We're not building a brand. We're not building any type of uh, a human organization. We're building this alive collective of people who have been touched by Jesus, people who know who he is, people who are doing the works of the Lord because they know the Lord of the works. We're building you. That is how we're building the church. And there's nothing greater. Bill Hybel said something years ago, and it's a very famous quote by him. The local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. We say that because the local church is what represents Jesus to the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And guys, when you attend, that's a huge thing these days. When you, when you give, when you contribute, when, when you participate... When, when, you, when you keep on the journey, even when you're doubting or hurting, and you're building the church, your presence is building the church, and great things happen. So why does the church exist? What are our purposes? I want you to quickly write down these five things if you're taking notes. And I'm not going to elaborate on them because they're five biblical purposes. And a lot of churches use these five purposes because they're great ways to categorize what's in the Scripture. Discipleship. This idea that we're always becoming closer and closer to Jesus. We're becoming more like him. We're disciples of him, which means we're learning to talk like him, act like him, listen like him, love like him. Evangelism. We, we believe that our message is so crucial, that our, our message is, has so many consequences for the world that we don't just sit on our message, we share our message. Worship. This idea that God is beyond us. He's above us. He's, he's something so much greater. And so in humility, we exalt his name. And when we make him bigger, we become smaller. And that's a good thing in an egocentric society that's all about, all about the individual. We need to lift up God. Fellowship, that's this idea of connectivity. We're not just receptors of content. You can hear preaching anytime you want to. And that, that's a positive thing. And you can hear flawless worship music, but we are a community. We're, we're in proximity to each other. We're 
sitting near each other. We're learning each other's names. And once we learn each other's names, we learn each other's stories. And when we know each other's stories, we learn each other's hearts. And then service. It's not about what happens here. It's about what we take from here to there. It's about caring about our community, caring about the social need, caring about the condition of our neighborhoods, caring about our school and our education system, caring about health care, caring about those who are poor, who need advantage, they need help, they need a hand up. It's about us getting involved with our neighbors and our friends and really caring. These are the things that, that we're called to do. Now, a lot of great churches that we've all benefited from specialize in one of these categories. They do. A lot of great churches specialize in one of these categories. And we can keep that slide up there for a second because I, I want you to think about this. So let's say that, that um, the churches with great Sunday school programs, like we're, you know, the Sunday school is bigger than the public worship. And it's about education. It's about getting the word. We can learn a lot from them. Churches that are about evangelism. It's like everything that's done in a Sunday morning service is for the lost. I mean, it's like there's just like this tension in the room. Like, oh, that song, don't, don't talk about the blood of Jesus because the lost people wouldn't understand that. There's like this tension, and, and I understand their heart and their reason, but that's not us because we, we want people to participate in the story as quick as possible and, and don't want to kind of lead everyone to the lowest common denominator. That's not where we want. We want to lift people up. We want to, we're not afraid of theological words. We're not afraid of... Of, of raising standards of morality. And we're, we're not looking for just the bottom. We're, we're wanting to raise everyone up. And worship, you think about worship. There's some churches that just want to worship for an hour and a half. They may get around to preaching and they may not. And so there's churches like this and they're producing great CDs. And you know, people may move to California to go to a church like that or they may move to Florida to go to a church like that because it's just like there's no other worship like it. And then we, we talk about service and, and we see that a lot of our churches in urban centers for decades now have been involved with service to the homeless, service to uh, the, the uneducated through tutoring programs, so forth. And, and here in the suburbs, until about 15 years ago, we just weren't really worried about serving people. We're like, let's just have great services and they'll all show up. Now we're saying, okay, we need to go to them. Our desire is to be balanced in all of these areas. Do you know why? Because this is the expression of the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus cares about all of these things. And guess what? If you're the church, you need all of these things, right? You need some discipleship, and you need to reach people in your life, and you need to worship, and you need fellowship. Everyone needs fellowship, and we need to serve. So we need all of these things. And as our 242 groups develop, they'll have these characteristics. And as our youth ministry and children's ministry, we want them to have those characteristics. So these are important things. Today I'm going to share with you three pictures. All right, and they're not the greatest three pictures, but they'll be memorable pictures. And they're going to help you um, see three movements in Christianity. I, I suppose there, there are many more. There could be many more, but these three will help us categorize information. Here's the first picture we can look at. This is uh, the bread and the cup. And this symbolizes what's known as a sacrament. And here at our church, we have water baptism as a sacrament. We have communion as a sacrament. And in recent years, we've begun to discover marriage as a sacrament too. A sacrament is something physical, tangible, that speaks to the holy. It's something that engages us and engages us to the mystery that is happening in the heavenlies. And a sacrament is a doorway to heaven. A sacrament is a window where heaven and earth meet together. 
And that's why we offer every week in some form weekly communion. This is part of our heritage. It's part of our heritage as Christians. It's part of our Jewish heritage also. We believe that the bread and the cup is a biblical directive that we should take that on a regular basis. Now, some churches do it quarterly, annually, monthly, and they're not in error. That's not a, they're not wrong to make that position. We've chosen now for many years, um, many years to offer communion every week. And it is a point of differentiation for some evangelical churches. And what I love about this is that it reminds us that we come here to worship for Jesus. We're very preacher-centered. You know, it works out good for me because I'm the preacher and I like to preach, you know. So it's like, who's the pastor of the church? What's the sermon title? Was he good? Is he on today? Is he off today? Someone told me the other day, they, they brought a friend of theirs and they, and they said, well, Aaron just didn't connect with me. And, and this person told their friend, well, some weeks he's not on, so just try him again in the future. <laughs> I was like, thank you, thank you. Um, and it is true. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to connect with everyone, right? Okay, so, so if it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a mature... Um, I know the, the preaching of the word is, is really important because it gives direction to the whole church. All I'm saying is, is that when we become uh, people who are centered on the sacraments, we know that the bread and the cup is the center of who we are. And since the Reformation, preaching has often been the center of the evangelical church. When Jesus is, should really be the center, preaching should point to Jesus and the sacraments lead us back to Jesus. Are you with me on that? All right. So, 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 and, and I did not grow up in a sacramental church. Our, my church I grew up with, we took communion like once a quarter. It's an awesome church, but it was almost like, oh, we better take communion before we forget and kind of slipped it into the service, so to speak. And that's okay, but now God's taken us somewhere else. So the, the, first, the first picture is representative of the liturgical idea of the church. And I want you to write this first blank down. Is We find that from the liturgical category of the church, the historic church, we rely very much on councils and creeds. Councils and creeds. You write that word down. What is a creed? Well, a creed simply means I believe. A creed means I believe. And the Apostles' Creed that we recited today is the oldest of the creeds. And in an era where most people were illiterate and then the Bible was not available to most people, creeds were used to educate people and the repetition allowed people and reminded people who they were as Christians. The Apostles' Creed is something people take before water baptism or recite because we're saying, okay, we're not just going for a photo op. We're not, we're not just doing something customary here. We're not just getting caught up in the excitement of youth camp and there's a, happened to be an ocean there. Let's get baptized. No, we're saying, hey, I believe. I believe something. I believe something even if I get persecuted for believing that. I believe something even if others think it's unreasonable. I believe something. And it's not just that I believe. as I join a community who we all believe this. And so when we say this together... It's not only part of our worship, it's part of us belonging to one another. And we say, we believe in the virgin birth. We believe that Christ will judge the living and the dead. 
See, there's great power in this, especially even though we have great access to the Bible, we often don't have the repetition we need in the, because we, we, don't, we don't get into the Scripture as much as we should. We're going to talk about the importance of that here momentarily. And so it is that how did these, how did these creeds come about? They came about because of the great councils of the church. Now, here was the first council of the church. You can write this down, Acts 15. Acts 15 was the first council of the church. They're like, what are we going to do with these Gentile people? And so all the leaders of the church got together and they said, hey, this is what it means to be a Christian if you're not Jewish. That was the first council. Then you can look up, you can read. There's plenty of access, all types of councils after that. The first 400 years of Christianity that leaders got together and they said, hey, this is an error. We can't preach the gospel this way. And, and they even began to say, hey, certain letters are actually anointed by God to preach from. Uh, there are some letters that are not scripture, but there are certain letters like Philippians, like First and Second Peter, like First and Second, Third John. They're special. They're set apart. They're anointed. And from that, we have the establishment of the canon. You can write that down. That's next, your, your next blank. Meaning this is that our tradition, we rely on it more than we want. Like some of you might say, I don't like tradition. I don't like tradition. Tradition's not my thing. Like I want, I want everything that's on edge, man. Just give me the edgy stuff. Give me the current stuff. I I, all I need is a Bible and relevant magazine. That's all I need, okay? And, and I, I want to stay on the edge, on the edge of what's happening. Even people who are on the edge are on the tradition of the church. Sometimes they don't realize. The tradition of the church established through the councils and through the canon the word of God. I mean, we have a great uh, sense of language about the word of God. Where did the word of God come from? Who made the word of God? We're reliant on the historical church. And so we have also the traditional church practices. You can put that down. Again, a lot of us are like, I'm, I'm not about tradition. Well, traditions that are dead, that are lifeless that are not aligned with the scripture and the Holy Spirit need to be absolved. But traditions that make us a people are anchors and centerpieces in who we are. Here's the second picture I want to show you. Second picture is, is a picture of a man named Martin Luther. Um, it's not really a great picture, but um, it, it, it shows him nailing the 95 theses, his 95 protests, on the Wittenberg door in Germany. And this was on October 31st, 1517. We now celebrate that with costumes we buy from Party Warehouse, right? That's a joke. We don't. That's, it is on Halloween, but we don't celebrate. I celebrate the Reformation on October 31st, 1517. I celebrate the Reformation because it, it, it's affected my life. And so you've already done the math. 1517 plus 500, guess what year that is? Come on, anybody, anybody. 2017, yes it is. Write it down, the Reformation. We celebrate this year. That's our next slide. The Reformation is on October 31st, 1517. This is a really important part of our faith. I hope it gets more promotion in, in, in the public sphere. It is a remarkable accomplishment. Up until 1517... There was essentially just one church, the Roman Catholic Church. There was also the Eastern Orthodox Church. But 
but they split in the year 1,000. But since 1517, I mean, we've been having all kinds of splits since then. I mean, there's been hundreds and hundreds of different churches. By the way, our church is not part of a denomination. People are kind of sneaky about that. They're like, hey, we're non-denominational. And then you really look in their charter, and they're really some kind of Baptist or Pentecostal group or something. We're not. We're just, we're totally independent. I won't trick you there, okay? I won't trick you. The joke I've always said is, you know, what does it mean to be non-denominational? I said, well, it means you can wear blue jeans at church, and we sing K-Love songs. That's... Uh, <laughs> That's why I just started telling people we're non-denominational. But we're not anti-denomination. In fact, I like to say we're intra-denominational. Meaning this is that we appreciate where you've come from. And it would be totally fine for our elders to, be, to have their ordination with another group. I'm actually considering that, having my ordination with another group right now. And I'm praying through that, working through that. So it might be uh, someone may, uh, a pastor here may want to be ordained through the Southern Baptist Church or through the Assemblies of God or through the Anglican Mission in America or something of that nature. And they could do that. We're not anti-denomination. You guys have just chosen to not be part of a denomination. And, and you seem to like that, I can tell, because the type of people we're reaching are, are, are like that. Well, that would not be possible if it wasn't for the Reformation that happened 500 years ago. And what did we get that? The most, one of the most important things from the Reformation, write it down, is Scripture for every Christian. This is so important. That's why we love our Bibles. And if you haven't been around here before, periodically I'll do a Bible reading campaign. And I would love for, I think every Christian should try to read the New Testament in a year. That sounds easy, but it's not as easy as you think. What everyone says is like, hey, I'll take the challenge. I'll read the whole Bible in a year. I bet you there's not 15 people in here who've read the whole Bible in a year this year or every year. I hope there's more. But it's pretty tough to read the whole Bible in a year. It's about a 45-minute-a-day commitment. But you can read the New Testament in a year for about five minutes a day, five days a week. And I think every Christian should do that because the, the Scripture is so important. And because of the Reformation, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. You have straight access to God. You have God's Word for yourself. You have access to the things of God. You can study for yourself. Don't trust your leaders blindly. See what the Holy Spirit has said through His divine Scripture. And we're learning to dig in. That's why I'm so thrilled. Eighteen of you paid money to be in Veritas College. You're learning hermeneutics on Monday night. You're learning how to interpret God's Word. The only part that's troubling is I'm a pragmatic preacher. And it means now I'm going to have to be on my toes more. Because you guys are going to know how to interpret Scripture. That's not, that's not, that's not in context. So I'm going to have to up my game. Because all of you are learning techniques of hermeneutics that I probably didn't pay that much to when I was in Bible college. So I need to finish Veritas myself. And we have this. You can write this down. Personal conversion. This is the idea of, of you're not just a Christian because you were born in Sumner County, Tennessee, and you went to VBS. You're a Christian because grace has touched your heart, and grace has moved you to respond to the gospel. And because that grace is so undeserved and so unexpected, we're not entitled to it. Sometimes we're like, God, we're going to do you a favor. We're going to finally lift our hand. We're going to finally walk the aisle as if we're giving God a favor. And that's not that at all. It's not that at all. It's about God giving us favor. We are fortunate to be saved. We are blessed to be in God's kingdom. We've been adopted not because of our choice, but because of God's choice. And that should drive us to humility and greater love. 
And personal conversion is why we challenge everyone. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? That's why many, many Sundays we ask people right here in this service, is this your day? Is this your time? It's this idea that somewhere along the way we make a decision for Christ. Sometimes that can be an era of our life. I mean, you know, it's, I think it's, it's kind of like falling in love. Did you fall in love right away or did you look up one day and find out that you were in love? The important thing is that you're in love, right? Doesn't matter, doesn't matter if you can say the exact date or if it was like that summer I fell in love. Sometime that summer I fell in love. That's kind of how it is with God. There's this kind of conversion that a lot of times I've seen people around here like hang out kind of like the vibe here, are enjoying what's happening. This is continuing on a deeper level when we have dinner together on Monday nights through Alpha and people are exploring Christianity. And then they just, they realize they are. And, and they go to the baptismal waters. Here's the third picture I want to show you. All right, this is a picture of, uh, of lights and LED lights and haze machine all in work with uh, modern photography. So what that's representing for us is modern worship. And whether you like it or not, does, that's, that's, that's going to lead us to the idea of a spirit-filled, a spirit-filled life. Our third picture, our third stream. The idea of, of this movement's happened in the last 120 years as people have realized the Holy Spirit on a wider level is not just a concept to talk about. He is a presence to experience. Here's the first thing I want you to write down under the Spirit-filled life, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to, you can put, you can put that first thing down, the first slide, the presence of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have, uh, it doesn't have to look like that. I, I want you to know that. Honestly, I don't want to mislead here. The presence of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with stage presence. <laughs> it has everything to do with a hungry heart and a belief that his presence can touch you. His presence can touch you, and, and, it, and it shouldn't be reliant on style. It should be reliant on sanctification, <laughs> about getting so hungry for God that we get more of a taste of him. The presence of God is not about having some kind of second experience. It's about having a many, many experiences. The presence of God is about my choices today. Am I going to walk in the Spirit this afternoon? Because here's what happens. If I spend time in prayer, if I spend time feeding my spirit, all of a sudden God begins to speak through me. It's not because like something happened to me right after salvation. And from that point forward, I can do everything. I can do anything I want, anytime I want to. It's about fellowship with the spirit. The more I walk with God, the more I'm like God. The more I'm in step with the spirit, the more manifestations of the spirit happen. There's the second thing I want you to write down under this category. The manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are which are available to us as believers, not just for the elite, not just for the people who lead the church. Every believer gets to participate. God wants to use you for gifts of healing, for speaking his word over people, for, for moving, moving but the Spirit moving through you in a tangible way that always aligns with Scripture because that's our standard. But this idea that God can show up in unexpected times and in unexpected ways, revealing his character as we know it from the Holy Scripture. I'm not interested in anything that I cannot find reference to in the Bible. And, and I could give you a list of things that concern me that people attribute to the Spirit that I just don't know if they're in the Bible. So that's something that I don't, I don't uh, push for or whatever the case is. 
These are important. But on the other hand, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's ignored. Right? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus who healed in the first century heals in the 21st century. The same God who gave direction by his spirit to the men and women in the book of Acts gives direction to us in these days too. That leads us to experiential worship. You can write that down. Experiential worship, the idea that, that, that though the word is guiding us and even the, the uh, liturgy is guiding us and it's even expanding our vocabulary because the liturgical prayers keeps us from just saying forever and ever, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Father God, in the name of Jesus. Father God, in the name of Jesus. I mean, I used to do that all the time. Well, we, we expand our vocabulary by using liturgical prayers and expands our vocabulary and, and it gives us a greater way to express our hearts towards God. And we experience his presence when we worship. All right? We don't just have a song service waiting for the preaching. Or we don't just listen to the preaching and just disappear immediately. Um, like, oh, that was a good sermon. I'll see you guys next week because I was so good. I nailed it all right now. You don't have to think about the sermon, pray about the sermon, process the sermon. I was good today. See ya. So we try to avoid that too because we believe that the presence of God is here. He's here to give life to his word to us personally. So CIL is a three-stream church. We desire to include liturgical, evangelical, and spirit-filled expressions in our service. And you may say today, maybe you're hurting today, maybe you're sick today, maybe you're just a little depressed today, maybe you're just tired today, and you're like, so what? I don't really care about CIL today. If I knew it's Vision Sunday, I would have skipped. So I snuck it in on you guys. And here's the reason why. Listen, this is why it matters. Because it matters because God wants all three of those streams to come alive in your life. Because there are three different ways God's going to speak to you and stretch you. And it's okay to prefer one over the other because, uh, we, because we, we need all three. I believe that the Lord is doing that. He's raising up many churches like ours who are, who are, who are including these three streams together. I'm finding these people. I'm getting in fellowship with these people. And as the future unfolds, many, many great churches will only stay in one stream, and that's what God's called them to do. It doesn't mean they're inferior. It doesn't mean we're superior, right? It just means that God is leading us into a new future to bring unity to the body, to bring a full expression, to bring a full understanding of who he is. And again, so why does this matter to you? It matters to you because you need everything the three streams have. You need it. You need a greater sense of the transcendence of God, like a greater respect for him, a greater understanding of the historic faith, a greater understanding of inclusion of the creeds and the inclusion of the, of the words that help expand our faith, that the idea of that we are saying the same things many other people are saying because we're part of one big family. We're part of one big story that's unfolding. And in a world of inconsistencies, hear me, at any time, you can go and you can find access to news and information that will make you think that our country is falling apart. And, and perhaps it is. I hope not. I pray not. You can find information that society's falling apart, that the economy's falling apart, uh, that education's getting worse, uh, that there's all types of, uh, of 
diseases that are, are looming out there. We're just, we're just one bad sneeze away from a pandemic that's just going to affect the whole world. You can hear all of this stuff that's making you unstable, but the Christian faith is a stable force for you. I'm going to tell you this, is the word of God is much more powerful than the American Constitution. Uh-oh. Is lightning going to strike me from heaven? No, no th- I love our Constitution. I, I love our Constitution. I, I, I would like to think I would defend it. I appreciate those of you who have. It's 240 years old. Maybe a little less than that. The word of God stands forever. Right? Our faith stands forever. No matter what circumstance, no matter what condition, no matter where we're at, we need that type of stability in our life, don't we? We need that type of stability. We need, we need in our life uh, um, our relationship with God. We need in our life more of God's presence. Well, you can tell I get passionate about this subject, don't I? I get passionate about this church. Beth, you want to join me up here as I, as I, as I come to conclusion because I want to give you some time for prayer. So what's the vision of our church? Here's the first vision is you. Why don't you put that slide up? Hey, people ask me all the time, Christians are real good at sophisticated questions. Thanks to John Maxwell, who I love. Now Christians ask me, what's your vision? What's your vision? What's your vision? All right, I get it. I get it. Good question. My vision is you. Vision is you. Because I am tired of Christians being burned out, left out, uh, kind of put out to pasture while, while, while churches get more sophisticated, and my deal is this. Listen, God has a plan for our church to grow. And these two services we have, we average 500 people with kids. We can average 800 people in these two services. And that's what we're shooting for because we, 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 we want to grow. But guess what? What good is it for you if we add 300 people to this church and you lose your soul? Right? Because you're not, you're, for whatever reason. Man, I got a vision for you. If God's called you to this church, I want five years from now you say, hey, listen, I've grown. I've seen Aaron and Beth grow. I've seen the church grow. But I love God more. I love people more. You're not just putting in your time. You're not just paying your dues to try to avoid a curse from God. You're not just putting in your time so that you can tell people where you go to church. No, God has called you here. He has placed you here because he wants you to grow and develop and to be the man or woman of God he's called you to be. He wants to see your family come to know him. This is why what we do is huge. What we do, there's so much on the line. There's so much to do. Listen, there's a vision for you. We've got a vision for you. We want to see you go deeper in the things of the Lord. There's a vision for us. Come on, at the end of the day, listen, we won't care. We're not going to care so much how big our church was at the end of our lives. We're going to care how much love there was in this church. Yeah? In a couple of weeks, I'm going back to my home church. My pastor's been there 45 years. He's retiring, 45 years. And guess what? We, you know what we talk about? We talk about each other. We talk about the love we have for each other now. We don't talk about, oh, hey, back in 1994 was our highest average year. Um, and we, we were, when we had our TV program, we were, those aren't the things that matter. What matters are the stories, the interaction, the relationships. We're called to be together. We're, we're listen. We're going to have all these little communities all over this area of people who love each other, who care for each other, people who are living out the five biblical purposes. And there's a vision for all. Listen, we we have a story to, to share, a story to share to all. And and it's, it's it's selfish for us just to keep the story 
Uh, that's why we're a giving church. We give thousands of dollars a year to other ministries, to other missions. Uh, that's why we invest high in Alpha to try to give an open door to people who wouldn't come to Sunday morning service. That's why we present the gospel in, in ways that God has called us to, to do and who he's called us to be. I want us to stand together. Well, this was, this was 101 of our, of our um, process called CIO Forward. CIO Forward is three, three sessions. This was the first session. Session two will be in two weeks, 102, during the 9 a.m. service. Session three will be, 103 will be in three weeks. And so if, if you want to, take out your cell phones now. I know this isn't the most spiritual way to respond, but it's a good way. And, and if you want to put that number, it's also in your bulletin. If, if you sat through the sermon and you're like, hey, I want, I, want to, I want to be recorded in the church that I was part of Ford 101, that this is kind of a newcomer's meeting. I'll be glad to give you more information. I'll be glad to meet with you if you want to. But you can text your name to, um, to that number. It's in your bulletin, too, if you don't want to mess with it right now. But that's a way for us to know that you were here and kind of an earthly process that we've established because we want to move people. We want to move people into their call, to their destiny, to what God's called them to do. But let's pray together. I want to pray for you now before we go dismissing the Lord's tables offered to us. Thank you. The table of the Lord is open to us right now. Thank you. Your destiny is not a small thing. The Lord wants to know uh, the choices you make are no small thing to him. Man, man people are trying to diminish your importance. And, and, and there, there's kingdom, there's kingdom assignments that are on you. I, I, I speak life into you. Listen, I speak life into your call, life into your circumstance. That no man can shut a door God's open for you. No man, even if you have an unbelieving spouse, the Lord is working through that right now. He wants you to know that. Uh, even if you're in relational turmoil, if, if you feel like, you know, you're caring for someone who is ill in your family and you're like, man, if, if, just maybe on the inside, you think, is that my only ministry? Well, if it is, that would be okay with the Lord, but the Lord is just saying that you're not minimized by that. He's using that. He's maximizing that in you. I mean, there's great things. I thank God for those who are entering into new eras of their life. Those who are like me, I'm moving towards being an empty nester. That means there's more. There's more God has for me. There's more that God has for me. The Lord is going to multiply the anointing through my kids. And I just believe that, but I believe that for you too. There's greater stuff ahead. There's longer parenting. There's longer parenting. There's longer mentoring. There's longer days. Listen, it's not too late for any person to do. It's never too late to get in God's will. It's never too late to get in God's purposes. Listen, I want to speak life to you. I want to speak life to you today. Listen, you're not just here as an anonymous person to, to build an institution. You're an important part of being connected to the body. And your contribution helps us be Jesus. It helps us to be Jesus. It helps us to be Jesus. That's why he's calling it forth today. He, he's stirring your heart today because he's doing great things. Lord, we lay aside selfish ambition and we pray that the ambition we have would be that which pleases you and loves you. And we thank you and we praise you for it. You're a great and great and powerful God. We love you this day. We love you this day. I want to invite prayer partners to join me up front. I'm going to dismiss us today, but I want to give you some time as Beth leads us in worship.